Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Evening all. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the City Metric podcast. Listeners, I have let you down. I promised at the start of this year, in the very first edition of this podcast this year, that we were going to be a bit less parochial and try and get out of the UK more. Um, for a while, we did that. We had a couple of episodes about Africa. We had one about Philadelphia. In recent weeks, though, kind of, you know, with local elections and everything else going on back in the UK, and just also the sort of the, the people I've, I've been able to line up for interviews recently. We've, we've been a bit navel-gazy again. We've talked mainly about, about um, Brit- Britain and British cities. So so finally, I'm going to try and break out of that again. Here, This episode is not about Britain at all. Uh, we are going to go to Moscow uh, and talk to a guy called Milo Edwards, who is, I think, probably it's fair to say, the most successful English stand-up comic who works primarily on Russian television at the moment. Uh, but he's been living out in Moscow for, for four years, and he's going to tell us about his experience there as an Englishman in the city, and, and you know, what the housing market's like, what the transport system is like, and you know, all, that, all that kind of fun stuff. Before we get to Milo, though, a, a couple of uh, very quick housekeeping points. Firstly, there won't be a podcast next week because I am going on on holiday. I haven't taken a holiday so far this year, so I'm quite looking forward to that. I'm going to to Valencia on on the Mediterranean coast of Spain, uh, which which is a city I've heard good things about. But most importantly, it will have nice weather. But please do please do feel free to to write in with your recommendations for what I should do with myself while I'm out there. Secondly, uh, the New Statesman, while I'm away, the New Statesman is moving offices. Uh, we've been in our current digs on, on Carter Lane, EC4, for about three years now, I think. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've recorded Skylines in, in our sort of podcasting basement room, which doubles as our, our, our mail room. It's a very glamorous environment. Well, I'll tell you a very quick story about it, actually. Um, for a long time... There was a strange smell in the basement of this building, uh, which occasionally, if you listen to the main New Statesman podcast, you will have heard Stephen and Helen cracking jokes about. But there was a strange, slightly sweet smell. We weren't ever sure what it was. And then one day, the ceiling fell in, and it turned out there had been a leak the whole time. 
So that was that was reassuring. Nobody was hurt, uh, and they patched it up quickly enough. But we we did locate eventually locate the source of the smell. Uh, was was the the effect a leak in in the ceiling was having? Um, but you know, it's, as I say, it's been it's been where I've recorded skylines since the beginning. So I will, in an odd kind of way, I will sort of miss that room. But I'm told, in our in our in our glamorous new offices, which I've not which I've not seen yet, uh, I'm told they're, they're lovely, and even better, we're going to have a proper podcasting room. Uh, to record these things, so so that'll be that'll be nice. It'll be strange, kind of being away during the moving week and just sort of coming back and having to sort of unpack in this strange office. But but you know, changes changes generally good. Anyway, I've, I'm rambling quite enough for the moment. So we now take you to, uh, to our main event. Okay, so yeah, if you could just sort of tell us uh, who you are, that'd be great. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, insofar as I know who I am. Uh, <laughs> my name is Milo Edwards. Uh, I am a, a Brit, uh, a, a Londoner, if you will. Uh, and I've been living in Moscow for almost three years, uh, working as a stand-up comedian for TNT television, which has been absolutely bizarre. Uh, in the UK, you may also know me from uh, the Trash Future podcast, on which I'm a regular host, and also general stand-up and me saying dumb stuff on the internet. So you're you're you're, you're famous in in Russia, but not in Britain. Is that is that a reasonable way of, of describing your current your current <laughs> fame level? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> any description of me as being famous in the UK would apply only to people who inhabit incredibly niche corners of the internet. <laughs> um, I think it would be, yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm moderately famous in Russia. I'm like, I would describe myself in Russia as like Geordie Shaw level famous. Are, are there any pictures of you in like, you know, trunks that pop up in the, in the tabloid newspapers over there? Or is it just kind of the level of fame, not the kind of type of fame? Well, you see, this is a weird thing, right, which is that in Russia, they don't really have celebrity culture in the same way that we do in the UK. Like there's um, there's no like paparazzi or gossip magazines, really. They have like they have Russian versions of all the English magazines. So like they have like Russian Cosmo and Russian GQ and stuff. And I guess you can sometimes get in that. Um, but generally speaking, it's just like, if you're moderately famous, you have your like Instagram following or what have you. And then that's kind of it. You never really, aside from the stuff that you specifically control, you never really find yourself in the media. Is that, is that, is that good or bad? Cause that kind of sounds like on the one hand, it's quite good having a measure of control, but on the other hand, like, mm. I mean, you got into this for the adoration, right? You want the attention, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, speaking as, you know, a narcissist, uh, obviously it's, it's deeply wounding to me that the Russian press is so disinterested in my life. Um, I mean, I think, I think if you're like properly mega famous, I think the press is very annoying. Um, but when you're moderately like a bit famous, I think the press is more useful because it makes continuing to be famous less hard work. Whereas sort of in, in Russia, everyone is like obsessively posting on Instagram and making YouTube videos and stuff the whole time in a way that like I really can't be bothered to do. But I still do better Instagram than most comedians do here because most comedians are really bad at that kind of shit. Whereas I've just spent a lot of time on the Internet. Yeah, I think people in Russia, like the people really get bored of you fast if you're not like constantly creating some kind of content. There's not there's not much of like a, a celebrity lifestyle that you can just kind of inhabit that sphere of famous people very easily. So in a second, I'm going to get you to tell us all about Moscow. But but first, I kind of want to know, like, how did you end up famous in Russia? Like, how is this a thing that has happened to you? Because it kind of sounds like the plot of a slightly surrealist novel rather than something that would happen in real life. 
Oh, mate, I, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I'm actually, I am actually sort of considering writing a book about it in my, in my wankier moments, um, which probably no one will read apart from possibly my mum. Uh, yeah, well, essentially what happened was I have a very good friend from university who is Russian. We studied classics together. And I used to come here a bit on holiday and I kind of like picked up the language a bit on the sly and then had via him then had friends in Moscow. And so I decided to move here after I graduated for a sort of gap year before I started doing kind of stand up seriously, because I realized that once I'd started getting momentum doing stand up in London, I wouldn't be able to leave for any period of time. Otherwise, it would just all go to shit again. So I was like, right, I'll go to Moscow for like nine months and just do whatever. So I had a job as a tutor for a while. Well, I worked for various companies as a tutor with like more and lesser degrees of just like absolute horrendous things occurring. But then while I was doing that, I carried on doing a bit of stand up in English for these sort of like weird guys who did stand up in an expat bar just so as not to lose it. And I sort of became like a like micro celeb on the kind of English stand up scene because there was like so few people who did it. And some TV producers from TNT came down to watch one of the shows because they wanted to know like what the fuck was going on with this English stand up. Well, basically, it later transpired that they actually spoke no English. So they came to this show and they watched me and they were like, do you want to be on TV? And I was like, sure. So then, then it transpired they hadn't actually understood a word that I had said, but they had just gotten the vibe that I was good. Ah, the, the audience seemed to be enjoying it. So what more do you need, really, I guess? Is that... Well, exactly. Although, as I've later discovered with Russian TV a lot, you can go down as well as you like. But if the editors decide they don't like it, it ain't going on the TV. <laughs> So do you now have, I mean, you said you didn't want to sort of like lose momentum in your career in London by sort of taking time out to travel or whatever. Do you now have the same problem in reverse where you can't leave Russia because it would kill your career there? I definitely have felt like that, but I'm now over it. I'm so, I'm so done with Russia. I'm so bored of it. I'm so like, I've, I've suffered enough <laughs> and I'm coming back to the UK in the summer. But yeah, there's definitely a case of if you want to be famous in Russia and stay famous in Russia, you've got to be on the treadmill. It's not like, yeah, it's like I was saying earlier, basically, there's this thing where in the West, if you kind of get famous once, you kind of stay a bit famous forever, although you might get less famous. Whereas in Russia, you really fall into obscurity fast if you stop being on TV and stop like constantly touring and all that kind of stuff. So that has been a factor for me. Like, I think mostly because initially what happened was I got put into a tv a tv show called um uh, open microphones like the best way to translate it which was basically a bit like last comic standing or something in the us um and i came second in that and then off the back of that i got this freelance thing working for stand-up which is a bit like live at the apollo kind of format and i've just like kept coming back to do that because that seemed like a good opportunity at the time now it feels increasingly like a waste of time. I feel like, oh, if I'd have spent all of this time in London, what might I have achieved? I might have achieved nothing, of course. Um, that is entirely possible. But now I'm starting to feel like, yeah, Russia is a bit of a waste of my time. I've kind of reached a sort of plateau here where, like, the people in the TV don't like me enough to advance my career. And so I'm just kind of a sort of bit player in the TV market, if you like. So as we record this, it's kind of mid-April. There are, it, it's a time of international tensions, let's put it that way. Mm. What's it like being a Westerner in Moscow at the moment? Like, How do people respond to you as, as a Brit? At, in, in many ways, nothing has changed. Like, I think the big change really happened in sort of 2014, 2015, when basically all the Westerners left, when kind of the ruble crashed through the floor and kind of all the western companies started like shutting up shop 
And that was like the big divide, really. You kind of then, most of like the normal Westerners left. That was about when I arrived. So it was like a weird (laughs) time to arrive. And so, I, I mean, generally speaking, most of the way in which Russia figures in the sort of Western political landscape doesn't really come up in Russia almost at all in the sense that like okay so you've got this whole like Skripal thing that was going on in the UK and like it was a big deal internationally but in Russia it's not a big deal it's not really in the news very much people aren't really very aware of it unless they're hyper into politics and so it doesn't really affect like the general narrative has been that like the West is evil for like 10 years and so that kind of if people weren't already on board with that that kind of these like minor fluctuations in relations don't really seem to affect people mostly on a day-to-day level especially for specifically for english people and broadly europeans they just kind of like foreigners usually they're kind of intrigued by foreigners in the west i think americans get a bit more negative but even then i don't really think it's a thing the main thing is like the police can fuck with you. If you get on the wrong side of the police, you can have a very bad day. But the man in the street, I would say, is like not not particularly difficult. Or they're not they're not any ruder to you than they would be to the average Russian. <laughs> Unfortunately, that level is extremely rude, but still. So is there any sort of like cachet? Are you sort of seen as exotic at all? Definitely depending on who you hang out with. So there's this weird phenomenon. Well, kind of what I said about all the normal foreigners leaving is definitely a thing in that most of the foreigners who are left are either people who are like mental in the sense of like we definitely should have should have left but we didn't because we were like after some kind of crazy adventure which is people like me but we're very few and far between but then the vast majority of foreigners who are here are people who are like losers it's kind of hard i don't i can't think of like a better way to describe this people who like clearly it was not going well for them in the west like something has gone very horribly wrong in their life. And they were like, I can run away from these problems by going to Russia, where people will think I'm cool because I'm a foreigner and women will sleep with me because I'm English. And like, that is definitely a huge thing. And those, you see these people, like, I know so many people here who are just like from in- England or whatever, and they're complete assholes. And it's obvious to me that they're assholes from like the first second I've met them. But there are certain kinds of Russians who like fawn over them because they want like a foreign friend or whatever. But those Russians are themselves usually weird people and not like, not the kind of people that my Russian friends would hang out with. So there is definitely, there's like a market for that. If you want to be like the foreigner that everyone loves amongst some like weird russian people and like girls who want to sleep with you so that you take them to the to the west or whatever that's definitely a thing that still happens but it's not it's not a sphere that i inhabit like a lot of my russian friends don't speak english for example when when we we, we met a few weeks ago when i when i appeared on your on your podcast because podcasting is that kind of uh, incestuous world but at the time sort I, of online circle chat yeah yeah um we're, we're, we're all well known among the same 60 people uh but yeah so at that point you were about to move back to moscow i think you were talking about looking for a, a, somewhere to live what's the what's the housing market like out there like what what where, where did you end up is it how's it compared to london yeah 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 when we last when we last spoke i was about to go back i'd taken like three months off and traveled around the u.s and then i had to go back to prepare for filming which is happening in june but yeah so i'd i'd basically i'd given up the flat i had which was in dead dead center in the north of this place called Novoslobodsky, which is considered like a pretty nice area like pretty central i don't know it's a bit like living in like i don't know like islington or somewhere in london yeah so that i'd, ga- I'd given up that flat which was like a shitty flat in a nice area 
like very like soviet style level of repair like loads of stuff didn't work there's like mysterious holes everything's a bit grim like an oven from about 1946 but it was in the very center so it was quite good in that way but yeah then so i was looking for a new place and i had an absolute nightmare because there's this weird thing in moscow where it's not expensive to rent somewhere but it can be like impossible to find anywhere which is like it's kind of like the opposite of london it's like you can always find somewhere if you're willing to pay through the nose for it but in moscow it's just often like there's just there is just nowhere (laughs) so it took me ages and i eventually looked at like i looked through so many listings of things which would have made uh, joel golby's london rental opportunity of the week column look positively vanilla like a sort of cupboard with a mattress in it you know it's bad when even russians are commenting on it going this is ridiculous because i've seen some of the places russians are prepared to live and be like this is fine (laughs) um the, the standard is like way lower like i've definitely been in my mate's apartments that they're renting for money and I'm like, in, in the UK, you could not rent anyone this apartment. Like, people would go come in here and be like, oh, yeah, I'll move in when you've finished building the apartment. Like, there's like, <laughs> some of the shit I've seen. One of my mates looked around an apartment where it had no kitchen because they'd made it into another bedroom. And then they went into the bathroom and there was like a massive oil painting hanging on the wall. And they spoke to the estate and they were like, well, the fuck's up with that oil painting? And the guy's like, oh, I don't know, maybe they just like art or something. The estate agent went into another room. My mate like moved the oil painting. It was just a huge like three foot across hole in the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Some fucking passage into Russian Narnia. (laughs) What have they done with the kitchen? Where was the kitchen? They just removed it. So my mate asked them and they were like, oh, well, you know, you can like order delivery club or whatever, which is like Russian delivery. And it's like, right okay clearly i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bother arguing with this man because he's so far down the route of being insane that there's no point (laughs) right so eventually i found i found an apartment through using classically using of being a foreigner to be to my advantage previously i'd used being slightly famous to my advantage but it turns out i'm less famous now last time i just put an ad on a on one of the moscow flats groups with a picture of me from the tv and i was like, i'm looking for a room and i had about like 50 girls send me a message within about five minutes most of whom were like moderately mental um but then eventually some of whom were quite normal and that i ended up living with one of them but yeah this time that didn't work so i went on one of these expat kind of housing groups um and i found this french guy and an irish guy who i live with now in like actually a massive apartment not quite as central as where i was used to live but still pretty central it's this area called uh krasny varota the red gates and it's like a big kind of European looking apartment, sort of three bedrooms and a living room and a kitchen. It's pretty nice. Some slightly dodgy decor in parts, like some kind of that kind of decor that like when when you know, there was an episode of Changing Rooms and the people would come in and go like, oh, yeah, mm, no, it's uh, yeah, it's good. So is it like uh, you're not in like Soviet era uh, blocks or something? You're in like something older than that? Yeah, I, actually, I would say this probably is a Soviet era it looks like a maybe 60s, I would guess, because if, if it was Stalin era, it would probably be nicer. So Stalin had really good taste in architecture. You know, <laughs> I, you know say what you like about Stalin, but the architecture was on point. And so his buildings tended to be like grand and very high ceilinged and stuff and have walls that were thick enough that basically they could take a sort of German tank round and it wouldn't wake you up. But uh, yeah, this is, I think it's slightly later because it's brick built, whereas the Stalin ones tend to be rendered. So I would guess it's like Khrushchev or Brezhnev kind of era. Um, but it's quite, it's quite like a nice building-ish. Like the, if you, if you looked at it from the outside, you'd think, oh my God, this is a crack den. But once you come inside the apartment, it's quite nice. Like kind of, you know, parquet floors and sort of all the, all the stuff in it is quite new. 
but stylistically it looks a bit 90s that's that's probably the right way around. It's probably better to think it's like a crackdown on the outside than to like be thinking, oh, this is really nice, and then get in there and it is a literal crackdown. So yeah, and I've seen that, and it's also amazing how like your your standards vary depending on where you are. Like this apartment, like it's not it's not great, but it's fine. But then I I we had like a housewarming party, and a lot of my Russian mates came over, and they were like how do you afford such a nice apartment? And I'm like, is this, is this that nice? <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> uh, so that was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what's the, so is, what, what's the kind of the worst sort of housing situation you've encountered while you've been there? Well, a lot of my mates are quite lucky in that they have their families have had apartments for years because basically until like the early 2000s property in moscow used to be basically worthless well indeed under the soviet union it explicitly had no value like you couldn't buy or sell property really in any meaningful sense um people just used to be like given stuff by the state or have it taken away by the state you didn't really get that kind of like massive increase in values of of moscow property until the so a lot of my mates even though they're not from particularly wealthy families, their parents own these like massive apartments in the center of Moscow, which they basically got either for free or for almost nothing in like the 80s or 90s, but which are now worth like probably close to a million dollars. The the other weird thing about Moscow is that like um, the rent is actually very cheap compared to the value of the housing stock. I don't really know why that is. But so yeah, you can own like a million dollar apartment, but it only rents for like two thousand dollars a month or whatever that seems to be a thing so like, i don't i i don't really pay very much for this apartment i pay like twenty nine thousand rubles which is like five hundred dollars something like that for my like room so how does moscow as i mean you've lived in london right how does moscow as a city yeah. compare can you sort of map different areas onto like london and new york or wherever you're thinking okay this is the hipster district this is the business district or whatever like how does it kind of function like a western city not really there's like superficial similarities i would say which is that it has the same 
geography of expensiveness like so north moscow is more expensive than south moscow and west moscow is more expensive than east moscow which i gather is like a really old european thing due to the prevailing wind so like the western parts of cities used to smell better because the wind came in from the west and then blew all of the like shit smell onto like the east part which was where all the poor people lived (laughs) i don't know how true that is but apparently that was a thing yeah no that is i don't know if it's universal but it is common like there is a tendency in London to sort of think, well, the East is, is poorer because that's where the docks are. But actually, in Paris, like even though the East was further inland, that was still the poor bit. So yeah, it does seem to be a wind thing. But yeah, and then but apart from that, kind of the culture in Moscow is like very different. So it's a little bit, I guess it's a little bit like Paris in a way, in that like all of the centre is nice, and then all of the suburbs are shit. There's like not really like that kind of certain areas of the center are like more expensive than other. Well, there is a bit of that, but like it's mostly just like anywhere within what they call uh, the garden ring, which is like the ring. I live just outside it. Anywhere within that is like hyper expensive. And then anywhere like kind of between that and what they call the third ring is like still pretty expensive and considered to be nice in the center. And then for, once you get outside that third ring, then you start to find like dodgy areas but it doesn't really it's not like they're dodgier in the south than in the north it's all kind of like equally dodgy by like distance from the center but i guess that's partly because they deliberately built all of these massive tower block complexes around the edge of the city a bit like the french did with the banlieue in paris or whatever and kind of like contained people in these areas what you mentioned about hipsters is kind of interesting because there is like there's this massive hipster culture in moscow but it's like very it feels very well i mean actually it feels very fake everywhere but it feels especially it's like been like all imported like you get these russian companies that have like oh they've been to london or new york for a day and then they've like tried to they've built their own like hipster burger place or whatever and they've kind of and it's like a sort of badly done copy of like somewhere you might have gotten in dalston or whatever but there's like 20 of them all over moscow all of a sudden <laughs> is it a good city to be i mean like the hipster culture aside is it kind of a good city to be young in is there a nightlife are there like bars you can go to how's how's all that sort of thing work i've kind of i've got a whole theory of this and now i'm trying to put it into good words basically in moscow there is this weird sensation amongst like the young people that i know who are largely upper middle class i guess you could say amongst russians um and they're mostly the children of what the russians like to call the intelligentsia so this is people who are like their families were privileged in the soviet union rather than have become rich in the new russia so they're a lot less rich than the people in russia who are considered to be the rich who are mostly people who stole a lot of money in the 90s by various schemes but they're still like pretty wealthy even by like western standards And amongst them, there's this weird thing where it's like, there is no future. Like there is, none of them conceive of the idea that there is in Russia any point to advancing yourself or to like having a career or anything of the like, because, well, first of all, it can all be taken away from you at a moment's notice. And second of all, because they just feel like this country is collapsing around their ears, which I think is true. And the consequence of that is that the only thing people are really interested in is having a good time. And so it means that like almost everyone I know is just like partying every weekend with like abandoned, like doing whatever drugs they can get their hands on and going out. There's a lot of like rave type places and stuff like that. That's kind of if you're if you inhabit those more hipstery circles, that's kind of what people do. 
And then on the other side, you have like kind of, I suppose what we might call the Russian version of like normie culture, <laughs> which is more the children of like what we would call the nouveau riche, like very rich people who similarly don't really have any interest in advancing themselves because when your dad is a billionaire, you literally don't need to, but it has a slightly different tone to it. And so they go to these places like, there's this island in the river called Krasnyak Chaba, uh, Red October, which has the the really exclusive clubs on it. Like there's one called Strelka, there's another one called Gypsy. And if you go there, they're just full of like the worst Russians and also a few rich foreigners who go there to hang out with the worst Russians. And that's and they have this thing called face control where like they don't they don't let you in if they don't think you're like cool enough to come in or whatever. Uh, there's also a bar like this called Simachov, which is in the center of Moscow, which is like similarly. It's a tiny bar, but they have face control for some reason on the door. And so that's kind of, those are, I guess, the two main segments. You're either in, you're either in the kind of like wild, abandoned, last days of Rome, rave uh, group, or you're in the kind of like hyper rich, going to these very expensive top 40 hit playing nightclubs group. So, I mean, do you, do you oscillate between those two? I mean, you're, 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 you're pretty, uh, you're pretty elite, aren't you? So I don't, I never really go to those like elite places. I have been to them in the past, but only like once or twice because they are just horrendous. It's like, it's like the Russian equivalent of going to like Bougie or Mahiki or somewhere. You're in there and you're just like, why, why am I in this place? But then I don't go out a huge amount anymore either at all, because I guess we've all gotten a bit older, like particularly my mates are a bit older than me. So we don't tend to, like, one of my friends runs his own club night. So we'll usually go to that if it's on. But apart from that, we don't usually. There used to be, like, I would say about a year and a half ago, there used to be a lot more raves and stuff than there are now. And they've kind of cracked down on it. No one was ever really sure how legal it was. We used to go regularly to this place called Armour, which was this huge warehouse, which was, they used to have, like, these semi-legal raves. They were probably paying bribes to put them on. And it was right next to the dispatching centre for the traffic police. So if you, you'd be like <laughs> looking out of the window of this rave and there'd be all the, it'd be like 6am, there'd be all these cops showing up to work and getting in their police cars and stuff. It was quite like on one level amusing, on another level that's sort of slightly alarming if you were tripping. Can you still, can you still smoke indoors in Moscow? Not technically, no. But well, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the law is, but it, it, Putin is actually really anti-smoking. So there's loads of like really aggro anti-smoking laws in Russia. There's a lot of places where you can't even smoke on the street. Like, for example, on Red Square, you can't smoke at all. Any places that are defined loosely as like public places, so like squares and parks and stuff, you can't smoke. And sometimes on the street, if you're outside certain buildings and I don't know, there's a lot of weird rules. Given how much the Russians love to smoke, it's one of the few pleasures that are still afforded them in life. Um, um, so basically in any bar or restaurant or whatever, you can't smoke indoors. In a lot of nightclubs, you can. Not because I think you're allowed to, but because I think they realize that they don't really want to have a smoking area because it's really cold in the winter. And also if it's like a massive club it would take you like 20 minutes to get from the, to the smoking area and back because of the way some of these places are laid out. Uh, I remember at Armour, they used to have like indoor smoking areas, like a specific room where you'd go through those like kind of like warehouse plastic flaps and then you could smoke in there and then you could come back out. But there's another club called Space where they just let you smoke on the dance floor. So I don't know. But yeah, officially you definitely can't, but in a lot of places you can in terms of nightclubs. That seems to be like a sentence that, that sounds like it would sum up quite a lot of aspects of moscow life to be honest oh god yes so so to wrap up like you know this 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 being 
the City Metric podcast, it would not be complete without my asking you about about the transport system. Like Moscow has a very famous subway system, right? Like how's how's that? Does that seem to work? It does. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably as Moscow goes, the metro is probably one of the better things about it in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I use the metro pretty much every day. It's incredibly cheap. It costs about 50p each go. So I'd spend about as much on the metro in Moscow in a month as I do on the tube in London in like less than a week. It's very like dirty, smelly and unpleasant. And most of the trains are incredibly old, but it is fast. Like you never really have to wait more than about a minute for a train. And uh, if you can squeeze onto the thing, it's usually pretty busy, the Moscow metro. But yeah, you can get around the city pretty fast on it. I would. It's definitely like an efficient, if unpleasant, transport system. Um, but then the buses are just completely useless. I've never understood people who get buses at buses in Moscow because the traffic is so un, so ungodly horrendous. It's like it has this like Dante esque like ninth circle of hell vibe to these like unending traffic jams, which can occur at any time of day. It could be like 9 p.m. and there's like gridlock traffic and no one knows why <laughs> and it's a Sunday. So there's like the metro is very good. Almost anything else I can't make head and tail of. There are trams in some parts of the city, which I, I used to live near a tram line and I couldn't really for the life of me work out where it went from and to because <laughs> it's like, you know, it doesn't go all over the city because it's only in certain specific bits. But yeah. And the cabs are extremely cheap. So if you get like an Uber or whatever, it's going to cost you like about as much as the tube would have done in London, which is pretty good. So how does the city cope with with snow? Because it gets like it must get like pretty heavy snowfall every winter, right? Does it seem cut out for that or does everything just kind of stop for six months? No, they do. They do deal with the weather pretty well, um, because if they didn't, they would just have an unending night. Well, so there, there are two basic phases to this. So in Russia, basically, they really care about cars. They really there's this real like aspirational hierarchical thing to like owning a car. People consider uh, like driving to work to be a, a higher class activity than like getting the tube to work, even if getting the metro would be quicker and easier and generally less stress for everyone. Like if you're above a certain level in your career in Russia, you do not get on the metro. That's kind of like. If either I get recognized in the metro, people are like, what are you doing in the metro? And I'm like, well, because it's like the easiest, I don't own a car. Like what? <laughs> um, but they're like shocked to see someone from the TV on the metro. That to them is like confusing. Um, so a lot of my mates, like they drive to work every day, not because it's the most you know, pro- like easy or correct way of getting there, but just because to that, like they've got a car. So I drive to work because like, that's like my status in society. So in relation to that, there's a massive uh, kind of respect of the system towards cars as opposed to pedestrians and stuff. So they expend a lot of effort, like plowing the roads, using a lot of incredibly cheap immigrant labor uh, to just like shovel snow out of the way. Like they have like teams of like very unhappy looking men from Tajikistan who they like bus into the city at 5 a.m. in the winter who just like snovel show snow out of the way often using like not even proper shovels but like homemade things out of like jerry cans with like a broom handle taped to it like really yeah it's like they're paying you like a pound an hour and they've not even given you a shovel you've had to like make your own um which is uh welcome to the motherland um so yeah if you're driving it's fine i mean the roads can be a bit dodgy but in terms of snow you're all right but then as a pedestrian god only knows what could befall you like so 
there's usually ice all over the pavements which they make no effort to like grit or clear so you just have to kind of like jump over it be hyper aware and there's like a certain kind of skill that you develop um and they have this huge problem with icicles (laughs) so you've got all these really high buildings and narrow pavements and then uh, what happens is if it gets a bit warmer for a couple of days the icicles fall from the top of the buildings and just kill people who are walking past (laughs) um I'm quite hysterical about that. Have you seen? Have you literally seen icicles drop, or is this something that's just on the news? Or? I have. So this is like a legit thing. Basically, if you speak to any Russian, they all have like a childhood acquaintance or friend who was killed by an icicle. Like this is like, and they all they just treat it as like a matter of like, oh, like you know, it's just this is what happens. You know, every now and then people get killed by icicles, but this doesn't happen in like any other cold country. It's like a unique Russian thing where. Obviously, in like Canada or wherever, they've just come up with a way of building the the roof so that this doesn't happen. But in Russia, they're just like, nah, fuck it. And so what you often get is when you're walking along the pavement, there'll be like caution tape, like taped around like dining chairs or whatever to make sure you walk like three foot from the edge of the building, um, which often means you have to walk in the road and maybe get run over. And also does not mean you won't be hit by an icicle because if it's falling from like seven stories up it can easily fall more than three feet from the building but you know that's kind of their like lip service to health and safety um but actually recently this was back in like late march i think yeah i was walking so our building has like most apartment buildings in moscow they're kind of three-sided and they have like a courtyard in the middle so i was walking through our courtyard and there were a load of guys from the state gas service and they were digging up uh, like the gas pipes in our courtyard. I don't really know what they were doing. And they were all standing around this dug up gas pipe having a cigarette, as you do. Um, <laughs> and um, normal, normal and fine. And at this point, this huge block of ice, I would say about half a meter across, just fell off of uh, one of the roofs. I'd, how, how many stories was this building? I'm looking at it now. It's about eight stories. So it fell off the roof and it landed in the middle of me and these guys, probably about like two meters from each of us. And there was this like moment of silence. And then one of the guys just went, fuck me in the mouth. (laughs) Um, And then we all realized that if that had fallen on us, we would definitely have been killed. And that's just, you know, you live in Moscow, you roll the dice. That's basically the system. I mean, under the circumstances, though, you can blame anyone for smoking indoors, really. But there we go. Uh, No. Safer. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.